Hi! Thank you for tuning into the sixth episode of the Shorewood Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. As you know, this is the show where we talk to you about library news, what we've been reading, and what is going on in terms of library events. Library news. So as many of you know, the stay-at-home order got overturned by the Supreme Court. However, that does not mean that the library is reopening to in-person visits yet. Uh, the stay-at-home order for Milwaukee County, I believe, goes through May 21st. So the library is working on figuring out when it will open to in-person visits again. For now, we will continue curbside pickup. So if you would like materials, you can still request them via email, via our online form, or you can call us. Keep an eye on our website and social media channels for updates as things progress. From the stacks. All right, so uh, I read Big Black Stand at Attica by Jared Reinmouth, and how would you pronounce that? Amezian, maybe? Amezian. All right, very good. Uh, four Days in 1971 Changed the Course of American History. It is the story of Frank Big Black Smith, who was one of the... Uh, uh, inmates at Attica during the uh, 1971 prison riot. Now, I'm going to give a little TMI. Uh, you know, some people when they talk about their grandparents are like, "Oh, my my grandfather was in uh, my grandfather was in World War II and he was a war hero." Or you know, a lot of people have these very grand stories about their grandparents. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a criminal, and so. Uh, in 1971, two years before I was born, uh, he was actually an inmate at Attica at the same time. So Lisa stumbled upon this book and was like, oh, you know, this, this is something that you might find interesting. And uh, I, I've always wanted to know more about what happened at Attica. And so uh, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this, this looks good. Mind you, Lisa will bring home a stack of things <laughs> for me to go through. And this was, this was the thing that I pulled out of the second, like, ah, and, uh, yeah, it was it was a very interesting book. It was actually uh, uh, co-written by Jared Reinmuth and uh, Frank Big Blacksmith. Um, they started working on it together in 1997, and it chronicles Frank Big Blacksmith's life um, leading up to getting incarcerated at Attica, and then the bulk of the book is about what happened at Attica. And I think for me, it answered some questions. It raised a lot of concerns, uh, because when we, when, when we look back at history, we like to think about how much has changed. And sometimes you look back at history and you realize how much has stayed the same. And, uh, the one thing that I, uh, was really interested in was there, it, at the front of the book, there is the 15 practical proposals of rebelling of rebelling Attica prisoners. This was the demands that the prisoners made. And I'm not going to read all 15 demands, uh, but some of them were apply the New York State minimum wage law to all state institutions, in all caps, stop slave labor, allow New York State prisoners to be politically active without intimidation or reprisals. Uh, there's, there's a whole list of things in here that... I know that some changes were made since the 70s into the uh, into the correctional uh, facility system, but like just the thing that first one that I read apply the New York State minimum wage law to all state institutions. I know that in the case of uh, in the case of prisoners, they make pennies on the dollar compared to what the 
actual minimum wage is. And it's, it's very sad and very frustrating that out of what took place at Attica, not much has changed. Uh, as far as what took place at Attica, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of racial tensions and a lot of things that were going on at other uh, correctional facilities around the country. And there was kind of the perfect storm of what was going on. And ultimately there was an act of retribution by some of the guards to try and punish the uh the inmates it was actually a thing where they were leading them to the uh leading them to uh the yard but had deliberately locked the yard so that they could basically toy with and enrage the inmates uh except they didn't tell the guards didn't tell all the guards and so the guard that was leading them to the yard ended up being locked in with the inmates uh a ruckus started Somebody tried to uh, step in and got punched, and before you knew it, uh, the guards uh, had locked all of the inmates into the courtyard, and the uh, inmates had taken over the courtyard uh, with a number of people, uh, uh, both civilians and uh, guards, um, locked in with them. And they ended up taking hostages in order to try and, and make these demands known to the world. And it's a very compelling story it's a very sad story yeah like i think it's interesting that you know like you said that the the, the demands in 1971 were not similar to what's going on today because from my understanding prisoners have to pay for everything that they have in prison so like if you want soap if you want toothpaste if you need a toothbrush if you want snacks to have in your bunk if you you know and, and from what i understand if there's a lockdown you know, you don't get to go to the cafeteria, so you want to have food that you have stashed in your cell for those times when you can't leave your cell. Yeah. Um, and all of those things cost money, and when you're making pennies on the dollar, you know, a lot of a lot of inmates, from what I understand, have to use ingenuity to make their own supplies or to like trade supplies with other prisoners. Like I, I think I've mentioned before that on this podcast that I listen to, a podcast named ear hustle which is about prisoners at san quentin and they talk a lot about you know how they get supplies and how some people make a living in prison by you know making soap for all other inmates and things like that because they do it on on a cheaper scale than what the what it costs from the commissary um so yeah i think it's it's sad that you know this is what 40 over 40 years later and and this is still the reality of, yeah. of prisoners in America. As far as your grandfather goes, do you know anything about what what his time at Attica was like? I know that your dad doesn't really talk about him much. So. Yeah, yeah, no. Other than other than that, during the riots, I know that my dad said that he hid under a mattress in the yard while everything was going down. Um, I don't really don't really know anything about his particular involvement, other than. Yeah, that, that he hid. But I should get back to, really, this is the story of Big Black, which I think I, I should focus on for a minute. And that's that this is, this is a man that moved to, to New York with his mom. Uh, he was a, a football player and had, seemed like in certain ways his life wasn't so bad, but he also got in, involved in drugs and crime and ended up being incarcerated and eventually ended up at Attica and he just had a a natural charisma and ability to 
uh, lead people. And so he ended up being brought on as the football coach um, mm-hmm. within within Attica. And when everything when everything erupted at Attica, he actually wasn't one of the people that was initially involved. But he ended up being tapped because of his leadership skills. He got tapped by a bunch of the activists and uh, was asked to be the head of security to oversee the hostages. And so was he a prisoner or was he? He a, was a prisoner. Uh, okay. Yeah, he okay. was a he was a prisoner, and he was, but he was over asked to oversee the the hostages because of the fact that he was considered to be um, he was a big man, mm-hmm. very very uh, very strong willed, and and had had a natural ability to lead others. People respected him mm-hmm. um, because he was the football coach. And so, so he got tapped for this role. And he got tapped by the, for this role by the, those that were revolting in in the prison, and he, uh, unfortunately, by taking on that role, he it also made him a target for a number of the guards. They saw him as being being part of the leadership, and he knew that that there would be ramifications for for taking this role. Mm-hmm. But he wanted, according to the story, he wanted to protect the guards and protect the hostages. One of the guards actually was was a friend of his. And so, uh, you know, he took the, the role very seriously. And also the Muslim Brotherhood uh, uh, were all of the people that were responsible for protecting the guards as well and the hostages. And so it tells his story. Um, it's from, from his viewpoint. And where it gets really, like, after... They go through all of the negotiations and, and all of the, the things that were going on between the uh, governor, who was Nelson Rockefeller at the time, and uh, with, uh, with the, uh, the warden and what have you. It, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting story, but where it really gets ugly is after they go through the negotiations and the negotiations fail because they won't offer the prisoners any form of amnesty for what took place. And because they couldn't get amnesty, they couldn't come to an agreement, and so it got green-lighted for for the uh, um, state troopers to storm the prison and just fire at will. And so a, a great number of people died. I think it was 39. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but a, a, a large number of people died. It was It was a massacre. And the way the media covered it, portrayed the uh the inmates as being uh that they were slitting throats and doing all sorts of all sorts of things after the autopsies were done after it comes out that that none of that was actually taking place and so there was this this ramped up media narrative that turned a lot of a lot of you know average folks against uh what they were trying to achieve at Attica and then you know years after they they released the information oh that uh yeah none of n- none of what they alleged that the prisoners were doing or uh, very little of it actually took place um in addition to all of that the other aspect is that w- after the building was stormed big black was frank black was one of the survivors but uh they chose to torture him and so he was repeatedly beat and tortured over this a series of of days, and it affected him for the rest of his life. Um, but when he he got out, he also 
got involved in drug counseling and uh, in prison rights and a, a, a number of other things. So even though this negatively impacted him, it also gave him strength to pursue other things. So what have you been reading? So I've actually been reading two different graphic novels. Um, I read Shuri by Nnedi Okorafor, and I read Clyde Fans by Seth. And Clyde Fans, like Big Black's Stand at Attica, is kind of a darker book, uh, whereas Shuri was a little bit lighter because it's a, it's a Marvel superhero book. But yeah, I'll start with Clyde Fans. Uh, Clyde Fans is a story of two brothers who own a electric fan company in Canada. And the, the company was founded by their father named, whose name was Clyde Matchard. And so this is about the Matchard brothers, Simon and Abraham. And Simon is this very introverted brother and Abraham is uh, extroverted. And he's the one who ends up taking on the mantle of running on the, running the business and being a door-to-door salesman and, and doing all that sort of work, whereas his brother does the accounting and the ads and the behind-the-scenes kind of work because his brother suffers from crippling anxiety and is just a very shy person and does not do well with people. So the story is, is interesting because it's, it's both about, you know, this, this business and how it failed over, over several decades. Um, it, it takes place in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and it follows the story of the brothers as their relationship changed over time, um, how, you know, when they were younger, they didn't really understand each other. And as they got older, they still didn't really understand each other until one of them passes away. And then the one who is left behind kind of understands the one who's gone a little bit more once he's gone. And part of the story is also about the brother Simon, the introverted one, taking care of his mom as she deteriorates into dementia and how his relationship is different with his mother than his brother's relationship with his mother and how his brother Abraham tends to put a lot of the pressure on Simon to do everything and gets mad at at Simon when things aren't as Abraham wants them, but Simon is the one who's actually living day in and day out with with his mother who has dementia. Um, so it's a pretty pretty sad story. It's told in vignettes. So there's like the first section is told from Abraham's perspective and it's him looking back. And the second section is told from Simon's perspective and it's him trying to venture out and be a salesman at one point and his brother kind of discouraging him from being a salesperson and and him kind of finding his own path for a little bit. And then the third part is kind of ties everything together. Um, the art is beautiful. The story was very, it's very touching, uh, but it's also very hard, a hard thing to read because it's, you know, about serious stuff that a lot of families go through. And anybody who's dealt with a relative with dementia knows that that is something that is very hard to, to watch and to be to be responsible for and to to just it's just hard um yeah yeah, so but it's ultimately you know it's it's a very very true to life book and the author said that he he wrote it because he lives in canada and, and the clyde fans company was actually a real thing and and he walks by this building every day and he 
started to think about what the story would be um, about the, the business because in the window of the building he could see a picture of two middle-aged men on the wall and he, you know, so he came up with the story of these brothers and, you know, it's not a real story but he just kind of used the Clyde fans, the real Clyde fans, as a, a backdrop for the story of these imaginary brothers and if you like realistic fiction um, family stories I, I would recommend it. On the other hand, if you want something lighter, which, you know, I I picked up Clyde Fans off of the shelf because it looked interesting, and I had read some reviews of it because I ordered the graphic novels at the library, and, and it got a lot of very good reviews, and it is it is a good book, but I was not expecting it to be so dark, and, and you know, right now, that's not exactly what I was looking to read, but I read it, um, and I don't regret it, I just, it definitely made me cry. <laughs> Uh, so then I, I decided to read Shuri because I needed something to kind of counteract that. Um, and Shuri is Black Panther's sister. And so this uh, this graphic novel is called Shuri, The Search for Black Panther. And it was written by science fiction author Nydia Korofor. And it is about um, Shuri's character. She is developing technologies so that Wakanda can go out to space. And she sends her brother out to space with uh, her boyfriend manifest i believe is his name or manifold i can't remember <laughs> um it's either manifest or manifold um and she sends them out to space and they get sucked into this wormhole and they disappear for two weeks and so she has to take on the mantle of black panther which is something that she's in the comics she has done before but she doesn't want to do it again because in the comics in in the previous time that she took on the mantle of black panther when when t'challa disappeared um she uh she ended up dying, and then she ended up going to the land of the ancestors, and then she comes back, and it was this whole traumatic thing, and, and so she doesn't want to go through that all over again. Superheroes die all the time. They do. There's, that's the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and you know, in the in the Black Panther story, uh, she she goes, you know, to the world of the ancestors, and she's brought back, and her hair changes color, and, and then eventually her hair changes back, and so she's been through all this traumatic stuff and she's like i don't want to go through all of that again so she she tells her mother that she doesn't want to take on the the mantle of black panther but her mother you know is is pushing her to do so because t'challa had started a a like nation organization trying to unite all the nations of africa and without him there her mother was worried that this this union would fall apart and so she wanted shuri to take on the the role so that the rest of africa would feel like Wakanda was, you know, there for them and, and would ensure their safety and would protect them if anything happened. And so it's a lot about, you know, responsibility and, and being true to yourself. And, you know, she she wants to help Wakanda and she wants to find her brother and she wants to, you know, do the right thing. But at the same time, she doesn't want to keep living under her brother's shadow or pretending to be her brother because she is not her brother. And so it's a, it's, it's a very, you know, empowering story of, of finding your yourself in your own way. Um, and it's cool because there's a lot of, like, female characters in this collection of graphic novels, uh, or it's like a collection of comics and all in one trade paperback from the, the storyline that Nettie Okorofo wrote. And so uh, one of the people who helps her along the way is, is Storm uh, from the X-Men because in this series, Storm is T'Challa's girlfriend and so when T'Challa goes missing you know she she comes to help his sister and and then there's like this council of women that's pulled together by Shuri's mother to kind of try and and make decisions for Wakanda 
and that's the the people who were approach Shuri to get her to try and tank on the mantle of, of Black Panther and so some of them understand more where Shuri's coming from and some of them don't and, and they all have different perspectives and they all get to voice their perspectives which I think was really cool because I think a lot a lot of times in graphic novels I mean it, it's changed more so now but a lot of times in graphic novels most of the characters are men and, and most of the characters if there are any female characters their motivations and, and their actions are all you know guided by men or, or propelled forward by men um and and this it's it's a very woman woman-centered story and i just really like the character of shuri because she's just so intelligent and adventurous and you know she loves her brother and she loves what she does and she loves wakanda and but she also just wants to be true to herself so so yeah it was more you know more of an uplifting story than than clyde fans yeah. Still, <laughs> your your presentation made it sound pretty serious. I mean, it's serious, but it's serious in like a comic book, you know, yeah. like not not like a, a graphic, not serious graphic novel. It's it's more serious than like a like a you know Captain America Winter Soldier yeah. kind of way than than a uh, a real story like what you read or yeah. a fictionalized version of of what life was like in the nineteen sixties and seventies for yeah. traveling salesmen like yeah. what I read. So. Um, what the one thing that I will take away from what you said though is there are much easier ways to go about changing your hair color. <laughs> yeah, well, she didn't die on purpose, Nick. <laughs> I, that, that is an interesting thing about about uh, um, you know when you're trying to represent things in in like a graphic novel form. You know, how do I make this person different to show that they've been through something? Mm -hmm. And you you know, changing the color of one thing is just one way to to go about that. Oh yeah, one thing I forgot to mention too in this um, in this series for those who are fans of Rocket and Groot, um, they are also in uh, in one of the the comics contained within the series because since Black Panther um, ends up out in in space in this wormhole, Shuri gets uh, one of T'Challa's ex girlfriends to to help her out, and she's a mystic, and she helps Shuri have this out of body experience. And Shuri, like, Astral projects herself into Groot, um, and it's pretty entertaining because, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot's always like, I am Groot. Um, <laughs> but when Shuri takes over his body, he's like, I am Shuri. <laughs> <laughs> and Rocket still understands everything that he's saying, and it's Shuri communicating with Rocket, but when Groot's, like, when you see Groot talking, Groot's just saying, I am Shuri, I yeah. am Shuri, just like he says, I am Groot, I am Groot. It's <laughs> Um, the one thing that I forgot to mention when I was talking about uh, Big Black Stand at Attica, I like the art style. It's it's a good art style. I would like to mention that uh, with uh, the massacre and the beatings and torture, uh, those things are depicted at least on a certain level, and so it's it's a fairly graphic book. Just so people know, it's it's not a light read. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be more impactful with a graphic novel because you're seeing actual images of it rather than just reading about it. Yeah, um, yeah even, even even with elements left out, it's, mm -hmm. it was still shocking. But yeah, so if you are interested in any of these, all of these are available in graphic novel format at the Shorewood Library. Um, we will be returning them this week, so you can go ahead and request them for curbside pickup if you're interested in any of them. Virtual events. Join Miss Heidi on Tuesdays on Facebook for Rhyme Time. Join Miss Susan for Virtual Art Cart on Wednesdays. You can find instructions for weekly projects on our website. 
Miss Heidi is also now offering Storytime online on Facebook on Thursdays at 9 a.m., so be sure to check it out. We'll be taking a break next week since the library will be closed for the Memorial Day holiday, so there will not be a Sherwood Stacks next week. However, we will be back the following week. So until then, thanks for listening and be well. The Sherwood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron with music by Kevin McLeod. The title of this song is Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com.